praying, Jesus proclaiming people. Amen. I love that video that we showed from S.M. Lockridge talking about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And as we have gone through these 40 days of prayer, the theme has revolved around reawakening to the glory of Christ. And we've seen different aspects of that in these 40 days, but want to kind of end our time with that theme again of being reawakened to the glory of Christ and specifically this morning being reawakened to the return of Christ being reawakened to the return of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And even within our Alliance logo here, we have the crown representing Jesus as our coming King. But I also know that when we talk about the return of Jesus or the second coming of Jesus, it stirs up a variety of images in many people's minds. For many people, talking about the return of Jesus conjures up images of Preachers on street corners with sandwich boards saying that the end is near. And sometimes people just kind of make their distance around that person, avoid them, ignore them. So many, if you remember years ago in the 70s, there was a barrage of, quite frankly, just bad movies about the end times. Not just cinematically poorly made. I just don't mean to offend those who may have loved those movies. But there is so much about the return of Jesus that we don't know. There's so much of the return of Jesus that we don't know. And so we kind of fill in the gaps and we sometimes allow novels or books to kind of fill in that gap. But I want us to look at some fundamental principles of the return of Jesus from Mark chapter 13, verses 24 to 26. Where it says, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And I want to specifically focus on verse 26. The first thing we see in verse 26 is that regarding the return of Christ, that it will be the personal return of Christ. The personal return of Jesus Christ. Again, verse 26. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. When Jesus comes back, every eye will see him on that day. Now, how does that work? I don't know. How is it that as a sphere that everybody on planet Earth will simultaneously see Jesus when he returns? I don't know the physics of that. But it's what it says will happen. And it won't be a representative of Jesus. It won't be an ambassador of Jesus. It will be Jesus himself coming back in the clouds. Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, before Jesus ascends to heaven, he gathers his disciples. And then as he begins to ascend to heaven, the disciples are left gawking, looking up at Jesus who's ascending. And the angels come and say to them in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, says, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So they watch him ascend into heaven and be taken up into the clouds. And the angels say, that's the same way you're going to see him come back, him descending down to earth out of the clouds in a personal return of Jesus. 
Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Again, we get very distracted by the details of the return of Jesus. And there, there can be some great interest and even fun in studying that and what does the Bible say and trying to work our way through Revelation. But sometimes in the middle of all that, I'm afraid that we get so focused on timelines and events and Antichrist and what's happening in the Middle East and, and what Jesus' return is going to mean and, and what his millennial reign is going to be and what the kingdom of God is going to be for eternity and streets of gold and seeing loved ones who have passed on and all of these other things which are of great interest and have great significance. But sometimes they take us away from one fundamental reality and that is Jesus coming back and seeing Jesus face to face just came off of uh, not this past week, but the two weeks before I had two weeks of class time and one of my classmates stayed with us uh, from Michigan and uh, he was here uh, that middle Sunday and I can't imagine what that was like to be away from your wife and two young children for two consecutive weeks. And uh, he served in his denominational leadership, so he was used to traveling. But I kept thinking about what would that be like to be away from your family for two weeks? When I go to district conference for two days, I'm just eager to get back home and see them. And I think about if I were away from them for two weeks or even the two days that I go to district conference and it's not that I long to be home to just lounge around in comfortable clothes, although that's a high priority for me. It's not just a matter of I want to be back in my own bed. It's I want to see my family. Because if I go home and the family's off somewhere else, it's not going to be what I desired. It's seeing my family that is of greatest importance. When we talk about the return of Jesus, the personal return of Jesus, to remember that one day, one day, we're going to see him, the person of Jesus Christ. And yes, it's going to be great to be reunited with loved ones who have passed away. It's going to be fascinating to see the kingdom of God in all of its splendor but not to take the focus away from the person of Jesus. Why do we long for Jesus to come back? Why is it that we long for Jesus just to come and and just set us free from this place? Is it because we're tired of being sick? Is it because we're tired of being in pain? Is it because we're tired of just the struggles of life? Or is it because we just want to see him? We long to see him personal return of Jesus. The second thing we see in verse 26 is the powerful return of Jesus. The powerful return of Jesus. And they will see the, excuse me, and they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power. With great power. The word here is dunamis. It's, It's power, it's might, it's strength. We have this interesting comparison I've heard people say, why would Jesus want to come back here? Because of the way he was treated the first time. When Jesus came 2,000 years ago, he came in meekness and he came to give himself as a sacrifice. 
He came to serve. When Jesus comes again, he's not coming in meekness and humility. He's coming as King of kings and Lord of lords in all of his power. Revelation chapter 1 verse 17 said, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I I have been captivated by this verse for the longest time. Because this is being written by John. John was one of the closest people to Jesus. One of the closest friends of Jesus. And you would think that after, after all of this time, John has this encounter with the resurrected Christ. I mean, by this point, it's probably been about 60 years since he's seen Jesus. 60 years since he's seen his dearest friend. And what is it that John does upon having this reunion with Jesus? He doesn't high-five him. He falls at his feet like a dead man. Because he's not just encountering the incarnate Christ who came as the carpenter to serve and lay down his life. He's bowing before the resurrected and glorified Christ in all of his power. But I love what Jesus does. John is terrified at the power and the holiness of Christ, but Jesus lays his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. And I love this balance, this tension, because we we often struggle with this balance. As with a lot of things, we're not great at keeping balance as people, but we have this balance. On the one hand, John is overwhelmed at the power of Jesus, the power of the glorified Christ. But then on the other hand, Jesus touches him and says, don't be afraid. You're John, I'm Jesus, we're friends. And the beauty of this this tension of, yes, we're going to stand before God and see Jesus face to face and be overwhelmed with worship for him, but then he's going to turn around and say, you don't have to be afraid. You're my child, I love you. To see this beautiful tension between these two dynamics. And when we see Jesus face to face, it's no longer going to be a tension Do we focus on the love of God or the holiness of God? And we go back and forth. And when we see him face to face, we're going to understand it fully and completely. When we see him fully in all of his power. But it's not just coming in power. The third thing is the glorious return of Jesus. Again, verse 26. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. The word for glory here is doxa. It means a brightness, a splendor, a radiance, a majesty, honor, and fame. All of the pomp and circumstance that rightly belongs to Jesus. Again, listen to John's description. Before he has this moment of falling down before Jesus in verse 17, he describes Jesus in verses 14 to 16. Listen to this description. And try to imagine that you are there with John, seeing Jesus face to face, and for you the first time. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Have you ever tried looking at the sun shining in full strength? It's not recommended. It tends to hurt the eyes. 
And John says, when I looked at the glorified Christ, it was like staring straight into the sun. This is the Jesus that we're going to see. Why does this matter? Why, why should this cause a reawakening in us? Because, again, sometimes the return of Jesus can become such a, such a mystery that to us it just becomes this ambiguous thing that's going to happen. Just some event that someday, yeah, we're going to see Jesus, and it almost doesn't feel real at times. I wonder how many of us live our lives with the reality of before this day is over, I could see Jesus face to face. And that can evoke certain reactions in us. On the one hand, it could invoke fear of, I don't want to leave this world yet. But on the other, it might cause great joy. Maybe great joy because everyone you love deeply has already gone to be with Jesus. Maybe because you're just tired of being in pain all the time. You're tired of temptation. You're tired of just how horrible things are in the world and you just want to be with Jesus. But again, the question comes down to what is our desire? Is our desire to be where Jesus is or is our desire to be with him? And the question I, always, I ask myself, and you don't have to ask yourself if you don't want, but if I were to take the mansions of glory and the streets of gold and the pearly gates and all these images of heaven and everybody I love who is now with Jesus and uh, being reunited with them, if all of that gets wiped away and none of that is any longer true and the reality of eternity is I'm in a box in a dark alley, but it's me and Jesus. Would I still call that heaven? Is heaven for me, is the return of Jesus for me contingent on all of these other great things? Now, fortunately, we don't have to pick between the two because he gives us the whole package. This morning, I want to call our hearts back to a longing for the return of Jesus, not so that sin can be wiped out and righteousness and justice can reign, but fundamentally because we long for Jesus himself. We long to see him. We long to be with him, the presence of the lover of our souls, to be in the presence of the one that we worship and adore. These 40 days have been about reawakening to the glory of Christ. We've looked at other topics, but all of them have been connected to Jesus. It's the spirit of Christ, the, the church of Christ, the mission of Christ, and the return of Christ. I pray that coming out of these 40 days, it wouldn't just be, yeah, we read some nice devotionals and, and had a theme and it was wonderful, but that it would become for us or we are reawakening to our first love, that we would be Jesus people, people who are in love with Jesus. Or as the late singer Keith Green would say, people who are just bananas for Jesus. We focus on all of the things surrounding Jesus, but at the center must always be Jesus himself. Have we lost sight of that along the way? Has serving Jesus become more of a priority than Jesus himself? 
has living the Christian life become a higher priority than the person of Jesus himself? Because all of this becomes irrelevant. All of this talk about prayer and 40 days of prayer, it becomes irrelevant if prayer is always this obligation for us. This thing that we know we need to do. I'm a Christian, so I'm supposed to pray. I'm a Christian, so I'm supposed to read my Bible. I'm a Christian because I'm supposed to go to church. It's what I do as a Christian. What difference would it make, as subtle as it might seem, to now be, because I want to love Jesus more, I pray. Because I want to love Jesus more, I read the Bible. Because I want to love Jesus more, I come to church where I know his presence is going to be with his people. What if the motivation stopped being because I'm a Christian, I should do this to because I love Jesus, I do this. And because I want to love him more, I do this. Let's allow our hearts to be brought back to the centrality of the person of Jesus not only for our daily lives, but also for what we long for. That longing to be in heaven, longing to be in his kingdom for eternity, fundamentally comes down to, I want to be where Jesus is. Whatever that looks like, I just want to be where he is. I don't care about a mansion of gold or whatever kind of mansion might be prepared. I I can have a lean-to, but if it's where Jesus is, that's all I need. We allow our hearts to be stirred again, to come back to our first love. Remember in Revelation that the words of Jesus to the Ephesians of, you guys are believing all the right things, you're doing all the right things. And at that point, the Ephesians could say, then we're just the best. But Jesus says, you don't love me like you used to. And because of that, I'm going to have to shut you down. At the end of the day, Jesus says, yeah, great, you believe the right stuff, wonderful. You're doing the right stuff, great, wonderful. But you don't love me. Why be a church if you don't love me? Let's allow him to draw our hearts back to himself. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer, you know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.